invite you to open your Bibles now to Matthew chapter 7. I'll be reading verses 12 through 14. Matthew 7, verses 12 through 14. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. The word of the Lord. Let's pray and ask the Lord's blessing upon his preached word. Father, as we turn now to your scripture as part of this worship, uh, Lord, we anticipate hearing your word. Uh, So by the power of your spirit, oh God, we ask that you would draw our hearts close to you. Lord, conform us, change us, uh, make us more and more into your disciples, Lord Jesus. We pray these things in your name. Amen. I was back in my hometown earlier this year, and I noticed something that caught my attention, and I kind of found it a little bit funny. Uh, One of the local churches, I think it was a local church, had distributed yard signs throughout my hometown, all over the town, that it simply said this, be kind. Several members of my family and friends, they had yard signs in the yard, and it said, be kind. Maybe you've seen similar signs like that around here. It's kind of a popular thing to do. It sounds like such a great idea. If everyone would simply just be kind to each other, kind of all of our problems would go away, right? I mean, that would be a simple thing. It's brilliant. How have we not thought of this before? Why did we need a yard sign for us to figure out such a problem? And as much as I like the plan to simply just be kind, there are some problems that go with that. Uh, What about the people who break the law? Are we supposed to just be kind to them? What about all the times that I don't want to be kind? What do I do with myself at that point? What about all the times that we haven't been kind in the past? What do we do with that? How do I respond to somebody who isn't kind to me? And the list goes on and on and on. It's not that simple just to be kind. And if I could be honest, my friends and family who have those signs in their yard, I haven't seen this uptick of kindness in them. There hadn't been a revival of kindness. But a world where everyone is kind to each other does sound kind of nice, does it not? As we'll see this morning in our passage, Jesus cares deeply how we treat each other. And in him, we get a picture of life where we dwell with peace with ourselves and with him. So we are moving toward the end of the Sermon on the Mount. We're looking at Jesus' final points to this great sermon, and he is moving us toward a conclusion with application that will force us to make some decisions, that ultimately will make decisions about the future of our lives. And that future is, are we going to follow him, or are we going to create our own way? What kind of life are we going to pursue? A life of his kingdom and his ethic, or one of which we will make up on our own and deal with the consequences as they come? What we're going to see this morning in our passage is that Jesus, the master teacher, draws the distinction between these two competing type of lives even more clearly. And this is, again this week, a difficult teaching. Jesus is painting a picture that is both beautiful and difficult. And we're going to see a very popular approach to life 
compared to one that's not popular at all. And that difficult route will lead us against the systems of this world and lead us toward his peace, where we can have peace with ourselves and peace with each other. So today we look at the golden rule. Strangely, Jesus did not call this the golden rule. We have somehow made that up and we all know it as the golden rule. And this beloved little saying that I suspect every single one of us has known probably for our whole lives, I suspect it's been taught to every culture to our children in hopes that we will follow it. The golden rule basically says, do to others as you would like for them to do unto you. Again, how hard could that be? Beautiful, right? Just go do it (laughs) and we could be done. I think it's pretty obvious if it were so easy, we would not constantly be living with tension in our relationships. If it were so easy, we wouldn't have frustrations with each other. If it were so easy, there wouldn't be infighting in churches. If it was so easy, there wouldn't be warfare all over the world. The golden rule must be more complicated than it appears. And what I want us to see this morning are two things from Jesus' sermon. First, notice our golden problem, which is wrong with us, our golden problem. And then secondly, his golden pathway. He's going to lead us straight to himself. And I remind us all before we get started that Jesus came to this earth to set us free, to love him, to love ourselves, and to love each other. And he's going to do that this morning as we watch his words. Are you ready to be free to love others? So first... Verse 12, notice our golden problem. We have to ask, why on earth is there a problem with the golden rule? How could this simple set of instructions have a problem? Again, I mean, honestly, if every one of us and everyone in the world would simply follow these words, our world would be different. Just imagine how the entire political landscape of our lives would be if everyone would just do this. The left would be grateful for the right, and the right would be grateful for the left. The Russians would esteem the Ukrainians, not attack them. The list goes on and on and on. I had a college football illustration built into my sermon, but all my teams won yesterday, and it ruined my illustration. But you get the point. If we would just do this, it would be easy. But verse 12 provides the clue that there is not a problem with the rule. There's a problem with those who try to keep the rule. The rule is perfect. The rule is godly. It is golden. But there's a problem with us. Jesus mentions two things in verse 12, which I think explain part of this overall issue. He uses the word wish in referencing our desire for other people. And then secondly, he mentions the law and the prophets are summarized with this verse. That is the ethic of the kingdom as a summation of the entirety of the Old Testament. When you see law and prophets listed there, that's the entire thing. The law, Genesis through Deuteronomy, the prophets, all the accounts of Israel's history and the books revealing God's relationship to his people. The law and the prophets are beautiful. They're beautiful. They show us God's excellence, his beauty in creation, his power, his righteousness. In comparison to the lesser gods that people would ever dare to worship, we see in the law and the prophets how he is greater than all. His holiness, his majesty are displayed What we see in the law and the prophets is his faithfulness to his covenantal promises and his unending love and mercy for his people. But what else does the Old Testament reveal? 
The Old Testament reveals the ongoing theme of the entirety of an unwillingness of God's people to follow him. An unwillingness for us to obey. This is our heritage. The law and the prophets tell the story of our God who will not forget his people, even though his people always forget him. They are constantly turning their backs on him. This is our story. This is our heritage. From Adam and Eve in the garden, to Moses' anger in the desert, to the creation of the golden calf with Aaron, to King David's adultery and murder, to Solomon's marriages, to women of other faith, to Hezekiah's pride and his possessions, all the way to the final prophet in our Bible, Malachi, revealing God's people offering selfish sacrifices and withholding their tithes. Our story in the Old Testament is not a good story of us. It's a good story of a God who won't turn his back on us. Our story is that our hearts are selfish and they are rebellious. So when Jesus says that we are to wish good for others, he implies that our hearts and our souls and our inner being actually have some ability to wish something good. And yet the prophet Jeremiah said, the heart is deceitful above all else. So what's the solution? What gives? Are we going to continue to just try to do better? Or is there something else going on? What are we to do with the golden rule that summarizes the entirety of the Old Testament that we know we can't follow? I think you know the solution, but hear Jesus' words again. Hear this from Luke chapter 24. When Jesus was on the road to Emmaus, hear these words about the law and the prophets. Quote, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. See, what Jesus says is that the law and the prophets were all pointing toward him. See, he was the point of the law. He was the point of the prophets. Because the law and the prophets reveal our sin and our need for one who will come and deliver us from the bondage in which we were in. You see, if we teach our children to obey the golden rule apart from Jesus, we have set them up for disappointment. We have set them up for something that they cannot do. It's impossible. And I think none of us actually want to believe that's the case. You see, we are so desperate. We want to believe that we have a little bit of good left in us. And in so doing, we can participate in bringing peace to this earth where we all get to contribute and share the glory with God. We all just want to be kind and think that we did something nice. I try to think of a good story about me wishing well of someone and then not being able to do that. But honestly, I don't want you to know what any of those stories are. Instead, I thought of a quote from our former, former senior pastor, John Sartell. He said this. He said, if you knew what was inside of my heart, you would not want me to be your pastor. But if I knew what was in your heart, I would run out of here and I wouldn't want to be your pastor. Again, we get the point. It's hard for us to love people. It's hard for us to always wish well for others. James Boyce in his commentary on the golden rule says this. 
He says this rule is both an impossible standard and an ethic which condemns. Is that the golden rule that we know and love? You see, the simplicity of this rule causes us to think that we can achieve it. Yet the simplicity ultimately helps us to see our failure to do that which is even the most basic. This rule is so out of our reach to perfectly fulfill that we miss something that's even more obvious. The golden rule implies that we actually love ourselves. That if we're going to wish that others would treat us the way we want to be served, the way that we want to be treated, that implies that we love ourselves. And the fact is, in a fallen world, many people hate themselves. See, the golden rule reveals a golden problem. Our hearts can't do this. We can't produce it, not continually. Our hearts are too sick. Our hearts need help. We need deliverance from one whose heart is not sick. So we've seen the problem. Now, get verse 13 and notice his golden pathway. We've seen the standard that we can't keep. But now notice what Jesus does. He sets us up on the pathway to find deliverance. But yet he does this in such a way that he contrasts two approaches. So we have more bad news before we get to the good news. Note the contrast between these two competing pathways in verses 13 and verses 14. Verse 13, notice the wide path. This is the popular way. Jesus says it is broad. It is very inclusive. Everybody's doing this path. This is where most people find themselves. Though it does ultimately lead in their destruction, yet it is still the very popular way. What's the nature of this broad path? Jesus reveals that it is simple. This pathway says Be kind to everyone and think that you've actually done it. This pathway is one of destruction because this one is a personal morality. It's that is, you have done something that you feel good about and then you pat yourself on the back and say, congratulations, look how good I am based on my own standard and my own imagination. And if we're honest with ourselves this morning, this is the American way. This is our culture. This has sort of become the way in which we do business with each other. To create some virtue and then create some signal, if you will, to tell everyone what a good person we are and then feel good about whatever that is because I do it better than you do it. And that's why it's so popular. You never have to admit your own inability. You don't have to admit your own sin. You just have to be better in your own mind than whoever else with whom you would compare yourself. Friends, you need to know, this is what many prefer. This dominates our religious world. This dominates our society in which we find ourselves. One of my favorite stories in scripture is uh, Jesus, I think, poking fun at the self-righteous. It's found in Luke chapter 19. It's the parable of the self-righteous one. Jesus tells the story of a Pharisee and a tax collector. Maybe you know this story. It's two men going to the temple to pray. The Pharisee prays and he tells God how good he is. The tax collector comes and prays and says, what a sinner I am. The Pharisee, the self-righteous one, he mentions sin, but he doesn't mention his own sin. He only mentions someone else's sin. And he's like, look at that sinner. I'm not like him. 
He actually tells God how much better he is than other people. Imagine if that is our prayer today. And Jesus said to that one, I never knew that guy. He's not with me. You see, the popular pathway to God is we feel better about ourselves by comparing ourselves to each other. And then we look and keep looking until we find someone that we can defeat in our own imagination. Church, again, please hear Jesus' warning. This way dominates our world. This is normal. Many choose this. It's crazy. Our world today can call what is purely evil good and then declare that those who engage it are morally superior because they are tolerant and kind. You see, that's an easy trick because the goalposts are always changing. When there is no law, when there is no standard, when there is no uh, confession, when there is no repentance, just comparison, you can find someone with whom you're better. And what kind of world does this produce? Again, Jesus says it's destruction. And I would suggest along the way of destruction, that path is filled with anxiety, with frustration, with materialism, and constant comparison. Friends, that's not freedom but it's normal. So how about some good news? What about the way of Jesus? How about what does Jesus require? What is this narrow path? Notice the features of this other pathway. Jesus describes it like this. He says, those who choose it are few. He says, it's hard. It's not the popular way. Why is Jesus' path like this? Why is it not easy? Why is it hard? I think we know, but remember these words of our Lord. Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, pick up your cross and follow me. What does that mean? It means to take this hard pathway leads us to his blessing, but that blessing is found in our total dependence upon him. It requires us to actually admit what we know to be true, and that is even before we were born, before we had done anything right or wrong, we were born into sin and we have always needed a savior. We have never been able to love others as ourselves. We've never been able to love ourselves properly. We have never fully or perfectly been able to do this. We have all sinned against the Holy One, and thus we have sinned against each other and ourselves. This is our story. We have sinned intentionally. We have sinned unintentionally. In our liturgy this morning, we confessed our sin. And you know what? You can fake that confession if you would like. But if your heart seeks the Lord, you will own what is true and embrace it and see the beauty that Jesus came for people like us. And he takes our sin, he forgives it, and then he transforms us into completely new people. With our membership questions this morning, with our baptism questions this morning, they begin with, do you admit your need for Christ? But church, let the passage sink in. This is hard. It's hard. It's hard to admit the fullness of our sin because when we do, 
we admit that there is nothing good in us apart from him. You see, it humbles us. It humbles us greatly. And that all we have now is Christ. And we, deep down, don't want to share our glory with him. And Jesus says, it's hard. We desperately want people to think we're great. And Jesus is continually saying, no, I'm great. So do you want to be free this morning? When the golden path of our story leads to the golden path of Jesus, and he is great, then we will be set free. One of my favorite C.S. Lewis stories, and he always tells good stories, but one of my favorite, and you probably know this one, is a little boy who had the toothache. His tooth is hurting badly, and he's in pain, and he can't sleep. He wants the pain to go away, but there's a problem. If he tells his mother, she will give him medicine, and the pain will go away for the night. But he knows what his mother is going to do. The next morning, his mother is going to take him to the dentist. And the dentist is going to create even more pain. And he thinks, if I could just get through the night, I won't have to go to the dentist, and I'll be better. But he knows, ultimately, the dentist will straighten out his teeth, and the hurt will go away. You see, when we come to Christ, we come in the totality of, Lord, take my life, change me, make me all you want me to be. And that's hard. We would never do that apart from him drawing us to himself. Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest. Church, do we not want rest? Do we not want rest from the comparison trap? Do we not want rest from anxiety? Do we not want rest from the hatred we have of ourselves? Do we not want rest from our inability to love others? Do we not want rest from a life of destruction? I think we do. But here's what's really crazy. When the golden problem finds its solution and the golden pathway, and we are free from our lives of constant comparison, then you're no longer consumed with yourself. You know what happens at that point? With Jesus inside of you, you actually then can wish well toward others. It's crazy, but then and only then will you actually have the ability to love other people as you love yourself. In Christ, you actually can engage in loving people. In fact, that's what Jesus is going to lead you to do. It won't be simply you trying to be kind to each other. It'll be the Spirit of God alive inside of you. Friends, that's what a Christian is. Your ability to love those with whom you don't want to love. So let's have a little fun this morning. And let's apply this sermon right now. Let me ask you, not out loud, but in the secrecy of your heart, who do you wish the worst for today? Who do you not love? Who do you not want to love? Who would you refuse to pray for? Maybe it's someone in this room. But notice this. When you admit your desperate status, when you admit your total dependence upon Christ, when you remember his love for you as a sinner and his death for you, you actually now, by God's spirit, in the name of Jesus your king, to his father's glory, you now have the power to pray God's blessing on your enemies. You can do it. In Christ, you can do it. Will you do it now? Pray that God will give 
whomever his best. Pray that God will bless whoever it is that you struggle to love. Oh God, give my enemy your grace. You see, when you do that, I promise you this, God will answer that prayer. How do I know? Because that's what Jesus has been doing for all time. When he hung on the cross, he had people like you and me on his mind. People who deserve destruction, but yet he wanted our best. He took what we deserved. His wish for us is that he would receive our punishment and we would receive his peace. You see, there was one who could keep the golden rule and he did it. He had done to him that which he did not want us to receive and all the while prayed for his enemies. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Can you just be kind today? You cannot. But in Christ, you actually can. Don't you want peace in your heart? Don't you want peace in your home? Don't you want peace on this earth? In Christ, you can have it. In him, in his golden pathway, he will prevail and peace will come. Amen? Amen. Let's pray now and ask that the Lord, who is the author of our peace, will feed us and nourish us around this table of his. Father, as we think this morning of what we call this golden rule, we are reminded yet again of how golden you are. You are our king. You are the one who has fulfilled everything. Our hearts are completely dependent upon you. So, oh, Father, we pray afresh this morning, would you come and meet with us, yes, around this table, yes, on this good Lord's day, yes, as we worship you. We pray all this now in Christ's name, amen.